Welcome to our podcast, Constructing Mindsets, discussing the building blocks of our mental health. This podcast is chaired by myself, Hannah Grealish, and our community of passionate individuals, Lucy Howard, Louise Hetherington, and Hannah Shapkins. In this episode, we're talking about all things 2019, what happened in the world of mental health, how our lives were impacted, and reflecting on what is next. So, what a year 2019 has been. I can't believe we're at the end of a decade, and so many things have happened this year that we kind of really need to go through and discuss. So what has 2019 meant for you guys? Um, so for me, I think this year I've really learned to stick up for myself. I think whilst I was going through a lot of my issues and trying to work out how to like look after myself the best, I've now also learned to stick up for myself. And when I am having an issue, know that actually I can still do my job and any other judgments otherwise are other people's and you know, knowing that it's part of me and that I can still do everything I want to. That's a really good one, actually. And what, why do you think that's been this year that you've had that strength or realisation that you can do that? I think it's just been like an accumulation. So the past five years, I've been going through various different types of therapy and stuff. And I think it's just almost like a practising, putting all those things into practice. And now I've had a few years of practice. I seem to be a bit better. And then obviously meeting other people, like chatting to you guys, it kind of makes you feel less lonely in what you're going through knowing that other people are and that there are people that understand and it kind of makes it a bit easier to stick up for yourself glad to know that we've made a slight difference in these uh, podcasts <laughs> i feel like getting it out does help though it does so lucy how about you for me i suppose the uh, the, the marked event of the year is coming back after maternity leave uh, for the second time so i came back in uh, february march time and you know, after you've been out of the workforce for eight months, like anybody that's been out for that amount of time, it can be quite a bewildering experience, kind of that first day back when you're sat in front of your laptop and you can't remember how to kind of edit the document in Word or find the buttons that you used to just rely on and all of that kind of thing. I sat there for four hours on my first day and kind of just looked at my laptop and thought, I just haven't got a clue what I'm doing, you know. And you have people that say, kind of, don't worry, I'll come back in two days, and then it doesn't, <laughs> and it takes a little while longer. So for me, kind of the highlight of the year has been, again, another kind of learning journey of learning to get back into work and get back into your kind of, you know, your successful habits that you had before with the support of wonderful people around me, like you guys. <laughs> And how did it compare to the first time you went on maternity leave, coming back for the second time? So first time, I suppose I was a bit nervous about kind of being forgotten about. So yeah. I used to come in for like one day a month and to do my keeping in touch days, whereas second time around, I thought, ah, well, you know, I've done it before. They <laughs> so knew who I am. I don't, <laughs> I don't need to do that, you know, this time around. And as a result, yeah, I completely switched off for about six months. So... Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one for anybody that's going to be out of the workforce for a while. It's how do you keep that balance between prioritising everything that you need to do outside of work with, you know, making sure you don't feel like an alien when you walk back in again. Yeah, that is quite daunting, I can imagine, after such a long time. Yeah. And Louise, how about you? So I think one of the big successes, I guess, this year, and it's more a company-based thing than a personal, is kind of the steps forward we've taken in Atkins to promoting mental health. So 2018 was quite a big year for mental health anyway, but it's nice to see the stories continued. So we've re-signed the Time to Change pledge. We've now got 150 mental health first aiders, which is what I am. So it's just really nice to see. And another thing is people seem to be more willing to talk about mental health or gaps from work and coming back and chatting about getting back into things and 
knowing that there's support available. Um, I've had some great stories where they've used our employee assistance program. No one would have told me they'd done that before. Mm. Um, people don't run away when I mental, uh, mention mental health, so that's great. People used to look really awkward when I brought it up, um, and they now don't. So either I've talked about it enough or people are becoming more confident with discussing it. And it just becomes a bit more normal in the workplace. Uh, and that's really nice to see because when someone then does have a bad day or period, it's not such a big deal. So, yeah, that's a really big positive for 2019. Yeah, that sounds really good. It actually sounds like the culture of Atkins has changed quite a lot in the year through, I don't know, it's, it's the introduction of mental health first aiders in itself. But there's lots. they're doing lots of things which people think positively about. And then it allows people a bit more freedom to say, oh, yeah, actually, I do think that about mental health. or let's talk about it. Because when you see a big company sign up to, you know, the pledge of change and also have invested in so many mental health first aiders, it's pretty impressive. And I've really noticed that when we're doing talks about mental health or even just, you know, if you have a spontaneous conversation in a group of people in the workplace, the amount that people will chip in with, oh yes you know that's happened to a member of my family this was the experience that we had this is the experience that I had has really changed I mean I particularly noticed that kind of from having had a couple of maternity leaves you notice how the workplace changes over the time that you're away and yeah I think that people are opening up in general about some pretty major experiences that they've had and that's really positive news yeah that's actually a really good point in terms of being away talk about going on maternity leave because I rejoined the business in February I'd been away for two and a half years and you know that is a long time but coming back and my induction into the company there were so many things that were spoken about that I that would have never have seen an induction when I first joined the company as back as a graduate you know we're talking talking very openly about gender bias about mental health about diversity and inclusion and I was kind of like wow there's so much stuff going on in the company now that individuals have taken forward and the company supported that kind of makes you feel like oh wow I'm kind of I'm rejoining a different business the feel of the culture of the heart of the business was still the same in, in, a, in a really good way that's another big thing about 2019 for me rejoining the business after a long time away working for a very different business in the same industry but client side and coming back and finding sort of after probably two weeks within the business having to go abroad and work on a project over in Amsterdam major infrastructure project so traveling every week commuting and working away from home was a big one for me never done that before very challenging to start with you know you get anxious the night before you go you've got to think about all these things and you're on a brand new project you're in a brand new company in a new environment with a new team and it is so overwhelming so it did take about a month maybe even two to sort of adjust and you know the night before I'd go I'd be like oh no what are we doing you have this massive like oh and you start thinking bad things about the decision you've made and actually you know I'm 11 months down the line and I found it so rewarding and I'm so glad I pushed through you know I've made amazing friends in the business had an amazing team on that project who we laughed so much about the most random things that's so funny that you say that Hannah because I you know you see you wandering around the office as you know as, as colleagues in the business and I would never think you know, to see you kind of, you know, walk into a meeting that you'd be somebody that would be kind of sat at home before flying out somewhere thinking, oh no, you know, what do I need to do? What yeah. do I need to say? <laughs> you know, so it's interesting just to see that other side coming across, isn't it? Yeah, felt very vulnerable. <laughs> 
So I find that a lot. Um, every, anytime I've ever done presentations on mental health, people, I usually start off being quite honest and open about my own issues and people always turn around to me afterwards and they're like, you wouldn't know from walking around that you've suffered because you're always really smiley and really happy and really helpful. And I'm like, that's the whole point. It's this invisible illness. It's this thing, anxiousness, whether it's even just about small things like traveling and that you wouldn't, it's yeah. not something you show on your face unless you're like, you know, in an airport and then you can actually see who really is nervous. <laughs> yeah. I was fascinated actually, because I mean, I didn't participate in the last podcast, but I, you know, I've listened to, uh, to Carlo's story. And there's another case, you know, where, Working with somebody, you would never think that, that all of that was going on in the background. So it's amazing to have those conversations. Yeah, and I think the one thing I learned, and you know, I I've become so much more resilient during that time because I know I'm I'm so chilled about traveling now. I'm on another project that's um, actually in in Dublin now, and I, I remember going out for the first time, and I I literally was not worried. I got on the plane, I was really chilled out. I got on my phone, I read the Times, like all my routine that I'd got and I hadn't even thought about the fact that oh I'm on a brand new project I'm meeting a whole new client and I it was sort of like taking all of my stride and I would never ever have been in that chilled out state if I hadn't gone through what I'd been through earlier in the year and I was kind of like oh actually this is so worth it like you know you feel so much stronger and happy about what you've achieved just mentally so yeah that was that was good so I think we've all had pretty interesting years in that sense and very different stories to talk about and also I think in the news as well, there's been a lot of talk about mental health. There's been particular themes that have come across, that I think all of us have noticed, both within our industry in particular, um, but also more widely. I mean, Lucy, what's been something that you've really thought, wow, that's resonated with me this year? I suppose noticing the generational differences about attitudes towards mental health. So if I look in the news and I think about, you know, who's out there and talking about it at the moment, it's probably people that are roughly the same age as me or younger. So I think Prince William's the year ahead of me, maybe. So, you know, the campaigns that they've been doing um, to raise awareness. And then I suppose also, like, you guys were my news this year because I was sat there in the audience, you know, like... um, judging for the for the Weiss Awards and hearing what Hannah and Louise had to say about mental health and really just sitting there and listening to that that was quite um that was probably the most thought-provoking uh, day that I'd had in terms of you know the mental health that conversation is really changing and then hearing the podcast that you've done as well Hannah um that just kind of topped it off so it's great to see all of that coming together yeah, and I just think on that point, generational differences I'm really seeing kind of come through. And I'm hoping that the more that what we're seeing is the same generation talk about it, the more we can influence other generations actually to open up a bit more. It's a difficult one because, you know, I speak to you speak to your parents about it and they might be like, oh, you know, we never had that in our days. You just kind of, you get on with it and, you know, there's not an issue. And, and you kind of think, yeah, I understand that. You might think that we're more sensitive nowadays, but actually shouldn't we be more sensitive and shouldn't we be more open? Because why do we have, or why have we grown up in this culture whereby we need to hide everything? Because we don't really. And I think it's nice to know that things are changing. Yeah, and like on that, when I went to the doctors and first got diagnosed, I told my parents because I was like, yeah, that's something I should tell my parents and talk to them about. Yeah. And um, they both turned around to me and told me that I didn't need help, that it wasn't a thing and that I didn't need the medication, I didn't need therapy and I'd just be fine. And it's because of that generational wow. differences. It's not that my parents don't 
care about me. That is just their solid mindset for it was like, it's nothing. Yeah. And after my mum passed away, my dad got really, really depressed. And even, and he's just, again, not really acknowledged it properly, I don't think. I still think it, it haunts him a bit, even though he feels better in himself. It's definitely still that because he just won't acknowledge that it's a thing yeah it's really difficult to get through to people sometimes even when they experience it themselves it's only hopefully something that will change the more we accept others thoughts and feelings and maybe it's not all about ram 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 i think this it's just about thinking okay you feel like that but let's talk about it i think you know we've got to acknowledge that the world is changing mm. so rapidly so i mean when i look yeah. at my stepdaughters and i think you know the world that they're growing up in as teenagers compared to the one that I grew up in, you know, it's just, it's not recognisable. So, I mean, you know, for the older generations, you would typically have, you know, uh, family groups that were a bit tighter. You might not have moved away quite so frequently as we've been encouraged to do, travel to university and then you're off, you know. Um, So I think that we do have very different challenges with our youth. Uh, these days compared to what previous generations have had. How about you, Louise? So I think one of the biggest kind of construction-related articles that kind of came out was to do with Hinkley Point C. Obviously, it's one of the major projects going on in Europe at the moment. Um, So naturally, with bad statistics in the construction industry, they're going to have some on their site, Um, but it's representative across the industry. So this article that came out um, is in The Guardian, I think, and there was kind of a recognition that there was a problem on site but there was also the recognition that they needed to do something about it and they did so that was really kind of grabbing attention i don't think in the past they would have acted on it necessarily in the same way um, we i know as kind of a podcast group we've all discussed this article before and whether we think it's really well written or really poorly written and kind of which direction we think it goes in whether it's a really positive story or potentially a really negative story um but yeah, I mean, they recognises some key factors of why there's problems on construction sites. It really brought to kind of main media attention that mm. things like long hours, working away from home, living in kind of accommodation just for workers. Um, there's some fairly major underlying causes for mental health conditions to kind of develop. Um, relationship breakdowns a big one on construction sites. People are away from their family for a long period of time, which obviously, Hannah, you've mentioned, you've been away with work. Yeah. You've been away, even if it's only on a weekly basis, that's still quite difficult if you're used to living with family five days a week, yeah. six days a week, seven, whatever you did. Um, so I think this article, whilst specifically being about one site, it really did kind of grab your attention that there is a problem in the construction industry. Um, and obviously that's why the four of us are here talking about it but it was kind of nice to see that in mainstream media whilst also potentially not being the good news story we wanted yeah i think like you said the main thing is that it's there's some been some really great things that have come out of it but i think it's also one of those things like it's very representative of the uk but there's a lot of companies like the ones we work for where you're not away for like a week there's projects we do where you can be sent away for 12 weeks and then come back only for a few to only be sent away for 12 weeks again like like you're asking a lot of your family to go through that and that's fine but it's making sure that if you're going to ask people to do that that you then have whatever you need in place to support their mental well-being and general well-being in in that period yeah definitely that's it's a really good point in our industry we are working around you know all over the place and it definitely takes its toll on relationships especially when working away during the week and then suddenly when I was 
finished over in Amsterdam. So I was like around during the week and I hadn't been before. It was kind of like I was invading someone's space again. So you have to get get a bit, it was only, literally took a week to get used to it again. And I was like, oh yeah, this is how I act when I'm back in the, in the flat and not in a hotel during the week. But it's little things like that. It's so minor and you adjust so quickly, but you just never think that that will impact upon you at all. Well, you're disappointed with the standard of room service when you're <laughs> 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 Yeah, it's, it's, re- it's a really weird one. And actually, on to the point of, I guess, the media picking up on things like that. I think previously, it wouldn't have actually been a published article because they wouldn't have thought it had enough gravitas to go to press to talk about, oh, you know, there's mental health issues on a construction site. Whereas now, and especially in the last year, there's a lot more coming to press in the first place because it's actually seen as something that's really important by journalists to start talking about. I guess my point on that is because it's coming to press more, companies are having to action it more, which is great. It's very good to focus minds, isn't it? You know, just to have that, something pops up in the media and people can think, you know, okay, well, what are we doing to avoid that kind of situation developing in one of our teams? And I have seen here our management really starting to shift their focus towards, you know, when we're planning major programme endeavours, you know, right, what do we need to put in place to make sure that we're setting our, our teams up to succeed on a well-being as well as health and safety? Because I think you started with health and safety and then well-being got tagged on the end. And now actually I can see well-being are being put slightly in front of health and safety as like the more frequent risk to mm. some of our workers uh, yeah. that aren't directly involved on site. And I think... Like you were saying like before, it's a generational thing as well. I really feel like mental health is going to be one of those things for the younger generations, kind of like the climate conversation is happening where people are really, really pushing it. And it will be one of those things where they'll be coming in and they won't be looking to see if you are meeting a deadline, if you're meeting a budget. They're going to be looking at, are your people getting through the project well? They're going to be looking at that like human side of it. And you're not going to get them if you can't look after your team. They're not going to be interested. Yeah, yeah, you're completely right. And so what have sort of you seen this year that you've thought that's something that's going to change massively? So the thing that really got to me, so I'm a really big comic fan. Like I love Marvel, I love DC. So when the Joker film came out, I was really excited. But I've actually ended up not going to see it because I'm, oh, really, you not? Afraid. I'm really afraid it's going to trigger me. My boyfriend's seen it, but I actually, for something I love so much, I just, I can't because I've, I've read the articles on it. And it's this portrayal of someone going essentially through a mental breakdown mm. and turning into this, like, what is essentially known as an evil, villainous person. And and that's what really surprised me is that I've had this my whole life. Batman's been a really big part of my whole life. Me and my dad used to sit and watch them. I've got the T-shirts, my boyfriend's <laughs> dogs named Bruce after Bruce Wayne. Like, <laughs> like, it's a really big part of my life. And it's just this subliminal, like, continuous thing that, Every villain in there is from Arkham Asylum, which is a psychiatric hospital. And it's this idea that all these villains are people who have had this mental breakdown. It's never seen in a positive way. And it was similar, even like as a kid, when we'd go to the Thought Park theme park for Fright Night, one of the mazes, one of the scary mazes there was a mental asylum. And it's all these things where if you're always saying it's a negative thing, it's going to come across as a negative way. But one of the biggest stories that's come out in recent years about someone you know, passing away from um, a suicide um, is Robin Williams, who is probably the least villainous person you've 
ever seen so I think that was really a big one for me. I think jumping on the back of that as well it's media portrayal of say something terrible happens like an assault or something violent I find so often that they just say oh but they had a mental illness and it's like no like that doesn't like one doesn't lead to the other and I know this podcast mainly focused on construction but It's something we should raise because if all our guys on sites are thinking, oh, I can't admit I've got a mental illness because people will think I'm violent, that's a big issue we've got because it one doesn't lead to the other. People are more likely to harm themselves than they are to harm someone else. And that's something we really need to tackle as a society, not just as an industry. Yeah, I completely agree. And it is funny talking about the Joker. So I went to go and see it and... I I found it absolutely harrowing. Not the bit, it's not, nothing to do with actually when he gets violent and, and all that happens. But the run up to that and the build up and seeing his breakdown and seeing how he was treated by society, I was just sat there crying because it was so upsetting. And I, it was the beginning bit, so the first hour that I just found the hardest to watch. I was like, I, I just can't believe they're treating him like that. And I found it so upsetting. And, and I actually, I felt sorry for him throughout the entire film. Even when he was, you know, he got violent and he turned into this, the villain. I still had this sense of, but he was treated so horrifically by those around him that, that didn't even try to understand him and actually pushed him aside from the very beginning. So this is, was my issue of seeing it because I find it really hard. And like, when I, especially when my anxiety is really high to kind of separate the film from my real life people are going to hate me and people are going to think this about me when I'm seeing other people or if I'm talking about it and it's obviously not true but that yeah that's part of the reason I couldn't see it because I just was like I I don't know what mental state it's going to put me in yeah so it's it's probably a film for me to avoid given our podcast to (laughs) Joe's area but I think you're absolutely right the way about you know what you're saying in the news when there's a you know a, a very negative event it's almost like for me Whenever, whenever something really bad happens, there are two avenues. One is that it's okay because it was a terrorist, and the other one that it's okay because it was, you know, somebody that had a mental illness. And I mean, there's, you know, that came up this year with the horrible events that happened at the Tate um, oh, with yeah. the with the young boy there, you know, um, where that looks like it was a factor. But I think again, you know, it makes you associate that everyone that has a mental health problem is going to then kind of be open to going out and doing something horrendous to their fellow human beings. Whereas, I mean, I completely agree from my personal experience, when I was, you know, going off the rails, the only person that was really in any danger from, you know, my actions was me. For me in the news this year, the main thing really has been about suicide. Um, and it was a theme of mental um, health, World Mental Health Day. And there's been a lot more about why people are committing suicide and you know it is one of the I think it's one of the largest causes of death in males sort of under the age of 35 and that is like a massive statistic to think that that is like it's not to do with like disease per se like a physical disease it's actually a mental disease that's, that's driving those figures and hearing I think also this is maybe slightly different twist but those that were on Love Island a couple those two separate people have committed suicide from that And they were young, exposed to social media abuse and seeing that impact in in the modern age where we have technology at our fingertips and seeing how easily people can troll each other is very sad. And things like that leading to suicide, which we didn't previously have, say it didn't didn't happen, we didn't have access to that sort of thing. So for me, that's been quite a big one in terms of us 
I think talking more openly about suicide and what causes it and looking at the repercussions of it, as well as just being more aware that it happens and it is quite a big killer in, in the UK, which is really sad. I think, you know, it's, that, it's the one subject that I think, you know, from a podcast group, we're probably all thinking, you know, at some point we're going to tackle that head on. Mm. And that is probably going to be our toughest one to do next year. Yeah. I think it is, um, from the reaction that I've had from people, I have had more people coming up to me and saying, you know, look, this has happened in my family. And that's um, heartening to know that at least, you know, people are feeling like they can confide in somebody, whereas they're saying, you know, up until now I haven't been able to confide in anybody. So, you know, let's try and make 2020 the year where, you know, we can open up that conversation a bit more. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think on that, I think it's because there's a certain level of, shame attached to suicidal suicidal thoughts more so than things maybe like depression or anorexia or like eating disorders things like that because it is so big like suicidal thoughts and death I can just I mean even me thinking about how other people might approach that or act to that it's really scary to have that conversation with someone or to open up about it and I think trying to I don't know address that is very difficult because people just won't talk about it and it's really difficult to try and make them talk about it so for 2020, we've had a decade gone, what do we want to see change? There's a lot of change in the air, and I think there will be a lot of change definitely next year. But what do we want to kind of see improve the most? I guess I said kind of my kind of big thing for 2019 was the uptake of kind of instilling mental health first aiders into Atkins and signing the Time to Change pledge. But as one, I don't actually see that many people. Um, so I'm here, I talk about it a lot, I tell people I'm here, but the uptake is probably much, much slower than you'd hope. Um, now that might come back to come some of the construction news statistics where most people aren't actually comfortable talking about it because of the stigma attached. So a big thing I'd love to see change is to actually be busy with being a mental health first aider. Mm. Obviously I don't want to be busy on the pretense it means more people are, are struggling, but I'd like less people to struggle in silence and more people to vocally ask for help. Um, I don't want people to get worse, if that makes sense. I just want more people to talk about it. And I think we're getting there. People are dropping it into conversation more. So we're not having specific mental health first aid chats, but casually at the teapot, they might mention they'd had a bit of a bad weekend, which could hint towards something else, um, which is where I just follow up with people. But I would like more people to actively come up to me because most of the time at the moment it's I'm concerned about the person I'm sat next to and I have to approach them, not the other way around. Um, so that's one big thing that I will personally be working on, but I hope as an industry we get better at over the next year. Do you, do you think, Louise, that we need to try and encourage a few more people to talk about the positive experiences that they've had of interacting with a mental health first aider? Because... I think I've only noticed kind of like one comment on LinkedIn where somebody replying to a post about first aid has said, oh yeah, that, that was amazing, you know, they, they pretty much saved my life having this one conversation at the critical moment, you know, and that's obviously a brave thing for that gentleman to put out there, but I don't see a lot of other people uh, feeling like they can do that at the moment. Yeah, we need probably more stories of people using them. Um, Probably we all need to, the, kind of the first aiders need to 
actually explain what we do a bit more. People can get their head around physical first aid, right? I see them and then I see a doctor. Um, we're kind of the same. So anyone listen to this, you're not sure what we do. Similar principle to a physical first aider, we will signpost you to appropriate support. Now, every company will have different support in place, but we can also signpost to kind of NHS services and other options for you. So that is what we do. I don't think everyone appreciates that and they think they're going to end up in some counselling session in the office and it's going to be really obvious. We're just there for a cup of tea and a chat or a walk and a chat and we can hopefully point you in the right direction to get some private help. Um, not saying that this needs to be private. The whole point of talking about it is to make it kind of open, but we know not everyone's ready for that. So more people sharing stories would really help, but more of us saying, not just come chat to me if you need to, actually saying this is what we'll cover or this is how we'll talk about things. Um, I think that will help too. And that's an action kind of all mental health first aiders can take upon themselves as well as the companies that have them in there. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's quite an interesting one because that's talking about how we address people that maybe already have an issue in the workplace that they want to discuss. And for me next year, I really want to see companies actually get behind what they can do to prevent mental illness occurring in the workplace or if it's driven by the workplace. So actually thinking about, you know, mental fitness, which we kind of spoke about in the first podcast, you know, what can a company do, particularly around, say, policies or changing its culture that can really help people be mentally fit and, or address their mental fitness? Because that is really where it all starts and creating a culture that is transparent around what it's doing in the workplace, transparent around different policies for flexible working, maternity leave, I think that will have a major change. And also, I think companies are starting to see, I mean, it's already at the centre of quite a lot of companies' kind of new agendas for the next five years, for talent attraction and retention, which is incredibly competitive, especially when you've got very large tech companies, who I won't name, but also startups, who actually are selling as part of their to try and attract um, new talent. They're selling this incredible culture companies are going to have to start changing their tune in terms of what they're offering as well and how they're competing because it will be based on well what are your health and well-being policies how do you keep me safe how do you make sure i'm happy um rather than being salary driven um i i, I hope that'll be a change I, I definitely think it will be because i think people are asking for it i think just following on from that i mean like you know people join companies that have great policies and they also join companies that have great leaders so it's a nice link into the point that I wanted to make, which is about, you know, I want to see more leaders um, joining the mental health conversation and talking about their own experiences rather than talking about the policies that their companies um, implement. Because if you can say, right, here's my vulnerabilities, here's the experiences that I've had, you know, and therefore I run teams in this way that's going to be, you know, a more friendly place to be for people that have had or are going through issues, then that's going to be very, you know, attractive for new people to join, but that's going to make for healthier workplaces overall. And part of my leading a positive team is having taken on um, Carlo's recommendations from the last podcast about baking against anxiety i'm going to be knitting against anxiety and things nice. like that in 2020 <laughs> what's your first item to knit well it's going to be a, a probably a turner and townsend knitted blanket <laughs> contributed from various different members of the team around the world love that that <laughs> That's is what great I'd like to see in 2020 <laughs> <laughs> so cool. um 
Yeah, no, following on from those points, I think mine is um, it's going to be similar. So I, I really love what companies are doing. I, re- I think putting mental health first aid is in place is is a really great way to start changing that culture. But I think I think that concerns me most, and I, I want to see happen in 2020 is people not using that as like a like a plaster for like this is a thing we're doing and therefore we're covered and it's actually looking at to into the deeper roots of, of what's causing those mental health problems so there was um a survey done by construction news and i will put the link in our show notes so that listeners can actually see the graph um and people across the construction industry were asked um what factors uh, will contribute to their poor mental health um, and the top three were long hours, job uncertainty, and tight deadlines. So often when mental health is talked about in the media in regards to work, they're like, often you'll see, but you don't see the breakdown until, until they're out of the workplace. And that's all well and good. And I, and I think that that's probably one of the problems with mental health is that it's really hard to pinpoint exactly what it is that's triggered someone. And I think studies like this are helping show that there are things that companies need to do other than... Um, giving them people to talk to, which is amazingly important, um, to, to make that a good culture and to you know allow people to be well and not get to the point, like Louise was saying, where you it's like you need it. It's, you want to be proactive rather than reactive. And I think some studies like this will really help you know, companies maybe look into what they can do to, to be more proactive. Yeah, I mean, it's quite an interesting mix of what we think next year. I think we've kind of come at it from all angles there because there's the address, yeah, there's the prevention, and then there's you know the policies, and there's the leadership. But it's actually, I know for me, it's kind of a reflection on how many intricacies there are to this whole topic and how we address them. Because actually, which side do you come at it from? Because you can address them all, but there's it's almost like you need to make small changes in every aspect of what we're talking about to make that big difference. And I think that's really key. We've covered everything from leadership, top-level policy changes, people actually using first aiders. I think what we're all getting at is that everyone needs to become involved on the journey, whether that's sharing a story or using a service or preventing someone from needing to use a service. And that would be a massive shift forwards for 2020 if it wasn't the younger generation like Lucy was talking about earlier. If it is actually across the board, just having everyone kind of tuned into the journey um and yeah i'm i'm seeing it already but it would be great to see it even more next year yeah that's a very nice way to round off the podcast and talks about everything we've done over the last three episodes this being the fourth one now and the more i think we talked about it very openly and we've had our first guest on the podcast the more I think we're starting to realise ourselves where we're making a difference and hopefully where the industry itself is going. And I think we should be really positive about that. There's there's lots of good change that we see going on. And so the more of it that happens next year, the better, and I'm sure it will happen. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, if you want to get in touch, please drop us an email at constructingmindsets at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to this podcast. When you subscribe, you get updates on when new episodes are being released. Um, And also, if you give it a like, it'll help others find us. So um, we will see you next month. Thank you. Thank you.